Well, in our evening services over the past few weeks, we've been journeying through the book of 1 Samuel, and tonight we've reached chapter 20. So if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 20, in the Red Church Bible, it's page 292. And I'm going to invite Johnny to come up and read that to us. 1 Samuel chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Then David left from Nioth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without confiding in me. Why should I hide this from why should he hide this from me? It's not so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favour in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, Look, tomorrow is the new moon festival and I'm supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him. David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. For as, for as you show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into covenant with you before the Lord, if I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked him, Who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said. Let's go out into the field... So they went there together. Then Jonathan said to David, By the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon festival. You will be missed, because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, towards evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began, and wait by the stone of easel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here, then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. 
there is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon festival came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall, opposite Jonathan, and Abner sat next to Saul. But David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day, for he thought, something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. The next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Then then Saul said to his son Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town, and my brother has ordered me to be there. If If I have found favor in your eyes, let me go to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger flared up against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame, and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. On that second day of the month, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him, and he said to the boy, "'Run and find the arrows I shoot.' As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out to him, Isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, Hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of all this. Only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, Go, carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the side of the stone and bowed before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. Thank you, Johnny. Well, we've got a lot going on in this passage this evening, haven't we? Um, so uh, let's get started and uh, dig into it. I wonder this evening, has anyone ever made a pinky promise? I'm sure that in the past you've made a pinky promise with someone, most likely a little child, or maybe, maybe your friend if you are still a child. The basic premise was you'd interlock your little finger with the other person and you know, you'd have a pinky promise. Oh, I pinky promise that this would happen. A totally trivial, meaningless promise. It doesn't mean anything. But we make promises like that all the time. 
It's jokey and trivial the way that we approach promises. But in the Bible, we see that God takes promises very seriously. And his promises and his covenants with his people are of utmost importance. And we've talked a lot recently at local church about covenants. Last Sunday and this morning in Jeremiah, God is revealing his new covenant to his people. And this evening we see a covenant, but between two friends. And you might be thinking, ah, that's a lovely story, isn't it? Nice story, two best friends having an adventure. But actually we see them making promises to each other with the Lord as the covenant guardian. He, it's a friendship that's been formalized by covenant, overseen by God. And this evening we're going to explore what that covenant looks like and what it means for us today. And we've got two points this evening. Uh, the first is a covenant of certain compassion. A covenant of certain compassion from verses 1 to 17. We open up the chapter with the last chapter still fresh in our minds. We should be remembering Saul's inconsistent relationship with David. If you've got your Bible still open, glance back up with me to verse 6 of chapter 19. And it says this. Saul is saying, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. And then only a few verses later in verse 11... Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and kill him in the morning. So Saul is inconsistent, isn't he? It's only taken five verses for him to change his mind. So Saul is after David as we leave chapter 19. And David fled to Samuel. And now 20 verse 1, he's fled to Jonathan. Now, Jonathan is Saul's son, and in human terms, he's the heir to his father's kingdom. But Jonathan knows that he is not God's king. But in fact, God has already anointed someone to be king, a man after God's own heart. And it's David. A few weeks ago, looking at chapter 18, if we just glance back there, 18 verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. Here we go. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And this is the beginning of the covenants between David and Jonathan. Jonathan recognizes that he isn't meant to be king, so hands over his right to the throne to David, the anointed king. So chapter 20, David explains the problem to Jonathan. He comes running in, explaining the problem. But Jonathan's pretty naive about the whole situation. He doesn't believe that his father would want to kill David. But we see in verse 4 the kind of friendship that they have. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. 
there's no other reason that David would turn to the son of the man who's trying to kill him apart from that covenant. It's because of that covenant that David runs to Jonathan. It's not just a pinky promise. This is a covenant promise that the Lord is a witness to. And that, that is why David can turn to that covenant in this time of danger. It's a safe and secure place. So they begin to form a plan that will prove, John, to, prove to Jonathan that Saul wants to kill David. And also for David to understand why Saul wants to kill him. But we're just going to zoom in on one verse. Verse 8. We're going to spend a little bit of time there. So verse 8. David here expects Jonathan to act with kindness towards him. He says, as for you, show kindness to your servant. This is David speaking. For you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord's. And this word kindness that we see here is translated from the Hebrew word hesed. I don't know any Hebrew and no Hebrew knowledge is needed to understand the Bible. But occasionally the words have a fuller and deeper meaning that the English language just can't equate with one word. And this word carries ideas of love and compassion with the additional connotation of loyalty, steadfastness, faithfulness. There's a commentator, Dale Ralph Davis, and he says, it's not merely love, but loyal love. Not merely kindness, but dependable kindness. Not merely affection, but devoted affection. And David had reason to say that Jonathan will treat him with because he has promised so in the covenant with the Lord. David appeals to the security that the covenant between himself and Jonathan gives him. The idea here is that in times of trouble and desperation, take yourself to the one with whom you have made a covenant and appeal to it, as Jonathan does here. Rest in the security that it gives. David's world is disintegrating around him. He's on the run. And there's only one thing still intact. And that's his covenant with Jonathan. And this pattern is running throughout the Bible. People running to the last dependable refuge. But it's ultimately not running to the promise that is vital running to the one who makes the ultimate covenant promise to his people. One who is rich in hesed, that loyal, steadfast, faithful love and compassion. But the story continues, and we move to our second point, a covenant of costly commitment. Verse 18 to 42 And this is where the story really takes off. We see the drama take place. So David and Jonathan devise a plan where David would hide in the field and then Jonathan would go to the new moon feast. 
day one goes swimmingly. David is just thought to be ceremonially unclean and nothing is thought of his absence. But when he doesn't show up on day two, Saul starts asking questions. If we skip down to the end of verse 27, he says, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? And Jonathan mentions their pre-agreed excuse that David is visiting family in Bethlehem. And Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, verse 30. We see Saul hurling insults at his son, annoyed that he's sided with David. Glance down with me at verse 31. We read this. As long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. How interesting is this? That Saul says that Jonathan's kingdom will never be established. But we remember a few chapters ago, David has already put God's servant, God's king, first. Saul's eyes are blind to the fact that Jonathan will never be king. Saul has rejected God and therefore God's king. But Jonathan's already handed over his birthright. And before that took place, he made a covenant. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan sacrifices his kingship. It's a costly commitment, but his covenant with David is more important. Jonathan emptied himself. He made himself nothing. Matthew 6.33 was not a cliche for Jonathan. We often hear, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Matthew 6.33, we think, oh, that's nice. That's a nice thing for Christians to say. Seek first God's kingdom. Yeah, great. But this wasn't the case for Jonathan. This was real for Jonathan. He was seeking first the kingdom of God over his own literal kingdom. And this is why Saul couldn't understand Jonathan, why he's raging with anger at his son. He shouts at Jonathan, you nor your kingdom. This didn't faze Jonathan. Because he was bound and committed to a covenant with David. And he would stay faithful to that covenant, even if it would cost him his relationship with his father. Jonathan would have understood Jesus when Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. But that's exactly what Jonathan does, isn't it? He denies himself and his family for the sake of the true king. And that phrase that Saul shouts at him, you nor your kingdom, you and your kingdom. Jonathan knew that his earthly life didn't rely on the success of his earthly kingdom. True, faithful life, true life, faithful to God, does not rely on the security of your earthly kingdom, but on reflecting God's faithfulness in his covenant promises. 
Jonathan knew that the kingdom was David's and therefore God's. I know that there aren't any crown princes here tonight. Well, maybe maybe there are. But even as believers of Jesus Christ, we have a temptation to think of this kingdom, this world, this life. My true desire shouldn't be to make my mark or get to the highest place in society. It's not about me and my kingdom. It's not about you and your kingdom. It's not about us and our kingdom. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. We spend so much of our time trying to satisfy our lives, trying to make our lives as fulfilled as possible with things that will never satisfy. In our relationships, the other person isn't there to fulfill and satisfy your needs and desires. At school, college, home, work, we can't tread the easy line, the path of least resistance. We need to look to Jonathan as an example. If Jonathan just went with the flow, followed the culture, his father's will, he would have been king. He'd have loads of money, he'd have the whole kingdom. But he would have rejected his covenant and also the will of God. Jonathan had security in the covenant, but that didn't mean that it didn't cost him. Just like David and Jonathan, there is a new covenant. We've been talking a lot about this recently. A new covenant between us and God through Jesus. If you weren't here two weeks ago and Dan was talking about that from Jeremiah, please do go back and listen to it because it's really helpful. But we can have confidence in the covenant that God has made with his people. Just as Jonathan had a covenant with God's king, so do we. But with God himself through the Lord Jesus. It's not a fickle, pinky promise that doesn't matter if you keep it or break it. It's not a fickle, pinky promise that would that you deny at the first sign of hardship. This covenant through Jesus' death and resurrection is a strong, faithful, never-fading promise. We can be confident in the finished work of Christ crucified as God's king reigns. Just as Jonathan is confident in the covenant that he has with God's king. We have a covenant with God, the king who is rich in hesed, loyal, faithful, steadfast love and compassion. But the covenant we have is also one of costly commitment. It's going to cost us to follow Jesus. And maybe you're here this evening, maybe you're weighing up the cost. Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it worth it to follow this king? Well, if you still have questions about these things, then please do raise them in the discussion time shortly. That's what we're going to do now, actually, is have time of discussion around our tables. Feel free to say as much or as little as you want. But now there's going to be three questions up on the screen. And if you want to turn your tables now, and we'll have the last ten minutes to discuss these things together.